This is the Prayer Culture Podcast, where we talk about building prayer into the lives of Bible-centric churches and individuals. I'm your host, Michael Green. I have a background in missions to the Islamic world, as well as being the founding member of Puremore, a ministry that is dedicated to developing a deep culture of prayer within local churches and communities. My co-host, Patrick Rowe, is a board member of Puremore, as well as being a longtime church planner in the greater Houston area and Thailand. This is the Prayer Culture Podcast. As a reminder, the Prayer Culture Podcast is a ministry of two or more, which is a crowdfunded ministry. So if you enjoy this content, please check out our website and giving page listed in the description. Also, when you have a second, hit the like and subscribe button. All right, welcome to a new episode of the Prayer Culture Podcast. So you're here with me and Patrick again. And today we're tackling a really interesting issue. The question we're going to ask today is what does being righteous have to do with my prayers? And the verse that this stems from is James 5:16, which says, "Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working." Patrick, what do you think about this righteousness having to do with our prayers and their effectiveness? Right. The reason why it's an interesting thing, and we even mentioned that we were going to talk about this on the podcast to a friend of ours, and he was like, ooh, I'm going to let you handle that. You know, (laughs) Uh, the reason why it's interesting is because we don't want to enter into a space where we say, if you've sinned this much, then you're prayers have no power, you know, or God's not listening to you. But if you've only sinned this much, because nobody's going to say, well, God only listens to you if you've never sinned or if you never, ever sinned, then God doesn't listen to anybody. So then it becomes this sliding scale kind of of like, how much do I have to sin before God stops listening to me? Not that we're trying to get away with sin, but we all feel like I know I've sinned. So then what does our righteousness, us being righteous, have to do with God listening to our prayers because that's where the power comes from. You know, it's not that the prayers have power because of me, but because of the one I'm praying to. So the fact that he's hearing me and responding is where all the power comes from. And if that's connected in some way to my righteousness, then that's a big issue. And it feels a bit touchy because we don't want to put the gospel, the truth of the gospel at risk in any way by saying it's by our own righteousness that we become acceptable to God. So you can see how this can become a touchy issue or a complicated issue, even theologically to understand what does the Bible even say about it? So that's all we're going to do is just run to the scriptures and we'll have our conversation about what our righteousness has to do with it. So I would say, Mike, I feel like right out of the gate, two things come to mind, two ways of reading what James is saying. And we were kind of laughing before we started here that if anybody was going to make a hard statement about your prayers having any power, it would be James. He would put what feels like a burden on you, you know, (laughs) because even the gospel comes through James in a way that some people hate, you know like your your faith and your works they have to worry and people just the word work just really bothers a lot of us now <laughs> but james is just so unconcerned with what hurts our feelings or what bothers yeah. us he's he presses you know he presses he's the paul washer of the group he's the paul washer <laughs> of the group <laughs> oh okay so here's two ways that i think we can think about what james is saying 
way number one would be that a righteous person, okay, because that's what James says, uh, the prayers of a righteous person. So what, who is a righteous person? The first would be a righteous person is anyone who's put their faith in Jesus. And this is just resting totally on the gospel, what the Lord's done for us. So we could say Philippians 3, 9, Paul said that he has a righteousness that's not from his own works, but the righteousness that comes, the, the righteousness from God that comes through faith in Jesus and that it's just gifted to you. It's not a righteousness of your own, but it, it brings you to God. Uh, we could quote Hebrews 10 verse 14 that Jesus by offering his own life has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So Jesus by the sacrifice of himself has taken all of our sin on him and this, as this gracious act of mercy has credited, has gifted his righteousness to us so that now all who put their faith in him are righteous. I am now righteous in Christ. And that's all true. Everything we've said is true. It's not like, oh, we've got two perspectives here. They're both on shaky ground. That's just all true. That's the gospel. But there's this other side where you could say the quote unquote righteous person is someone who is living righteously before the Lord. And that's not whether or not you're saved, it's whether or not you are living in sin. And so I think there's also something very biblical about the call for us to live righteously before the Lord. I want to be righteous. I mean, Mike, tell me, like, do you want to be righteous? Yes. Good answer. (laughs) Absolutely. You you passed. Yes. Right. We want to be righteous. Like, I don't ever want to sin again. You know, I kind of... Assume that I will, and I hate that, but it should grieve us. It should bother us. We should never want to sin again. And sure. our, our righteousness is important to the Lord. The way that we live yeah. is important to the Lord. And to help people understand, we're not talking about legalism. A lot no. of times I think of righteousness in the terminology of walking closely with Jesus. Mm. Like that's, you know, a lot of times it, it's the same thing, I think, you know, is not righteousness of, of being legalistic, but righteousness of walking closely to Jesus. And right, right. Yeah, because so, legalism yeah. would say what Paul was, the, the idea that Paul was combating in the Philippians passage, it's not a righteousness of my own. It's the righteousness of Christ that is gifted to me. That's the righteousness I have. Right. So, yeah, there's no legalism in it. it we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about prayer. Yeah. Who is God listening to? What, whose prayers have power? Who was James talking about? That's the issue. So is it a person, was he referring to a person who's just a Christian or is he referring to a person who is the pattern of their life is righteous? What do you think? Is it, a, is that even a fair way to present? Yeah. The pattern of their life is righteous. Um, the, the most relevant place I see it in scripture, we have in first Thessalonians five, it talks about quenching the spirit and it talks about it on two fronts. I think it says in verse 15, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek what is good for one another and for all people rejoice. Always pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything. Hold firmly to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So quenching the spirit can be rejecting all prophecy, just 
outright that, you know, that's crazy. And it can be participating in evil. I think Mm -hmm. if we're not living, walking with Christ regularly, if it's not our mode to engage with the Lord, because that's part of it, righteousness is not doing bad things, but it's also Mm -hmm. engaging with the Lord. In the end, we're either doing good things or bad things, because even things that aren't overtly sinful or bad, they become idols in our lives and that's all we're doing. So at the end of the day, I'm choosing regularly to engage in righteousness, walking closely with Christ or in my own self-indulgence. So when I walk in unrighteousness, I am quenching the spirit. Yeah. And the the idea of quenching the spirit is just a horrifying idea. And so, so maybe to put some language on quenching the spirit, I'll let you go at it because you, you brought up the scripture when you imagine quenching the spirit specifically. So that, that scripture says a lot, but the idea of quenching the spirit, what do you think Paul had in mind about what does that look like? What's the experience of a person who has quenched the spirit? Yeah, I think when you're quenching the spirit, you're starting to accept things in the culture as okay. You start to normalize things and you start to make things a little less bad or, or like it's okay to do this or whatever. And then what happens is when you go to the gathering of believers or you get into a space where you're supposed to engage with God, it's difficult. Mm. It becomes challenging. In my own life, the way that plays out is I don't feel good about this. Now I know the spirit is helping me not feel good about sin in my life, but it can become this like, I'd say if I'm engaging in an unrighteous activity and I'm still engaging in it, I'm not repentant for it. When I go to the gathering of the believers, I feel kind of robotic. Mm. Like I have to force emotion with God and I have to force things to work in the seasons when I have I've had a season like that before and it it just feels really cold. Mm -hmm. And that's like a really scary place to be. Yeah. The great thing is God used that to scare me back into (laughs) repentance, to scare me into repentance. Um, But I think that's what, how quenching the spirit can kind of play out is, is like that. And so when I'm cold and robotic, my prayers don't have any power. They don't have any substance and I know they don't have substance. So would you say they, when you say they don't have substance, would you say the substance would be faith, would be love for the Lord, sharing in the Lord's desires, that would be the substance that would give them power? And and if you're not really walking closely with the Lord, if you're not listening closely for him, you're quenching the spirit, that your prayers, your prayers lack that power, lack that substance, because you're just not, you're not really communing with the Lord and agreeing with the Lord about what's good. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your hearts. Those desires align with God's when you're walking in faith with Christ. And when you're not walking in faith with Christ, when you're in active rebellion, you're not walking, desiring righteousness, seeking after righteousness, going to war with the enemy who's wanting you to sin. When you're not doing that, your prayers become more robotic. They become more forced, more of a show in front of everybody. Typically, you're not really praying by yourself in those seasons either. Mm. You're really only doing it when you're in front of other people Mm. because it becomes a show. And so if you feel yourself entering that space, 
I think pretty much every time it's, it's identifiable with a sin issue that's not being dealt with. I'm sure you're right. It makes me think of something else James said that you don't have because you don't ask. And even when you do ask, now he's talking about unfulfilled prayers, you know, prayers that lack power, maybe you could even say that even when you do ask, you're asking with this selfish motivation that you would spend it on yourself. So it, it would get at what you're saying, which is when you are listening closely to the Lord, you're walking by the Spirit, you're in agreement with the Lord about what's good, and it's not going to be perfect. You know, of course, we're, we're all imperfectly seeking something perfect, but the sincerity of your seeking is there. It's real. And you're really trying to walk with the Lord. Then you are in a certain agreement with the Lord about what's good and the goal of all this. And the goal is not spending it on yourself. It's not a self-seeking kind of motivation that you're, even when you do pray, when you finally do pray, it's not maybe so sincere and that lacks power. The sincerity is so important to the Lord. Yeah. Sincerity is important. And in our flesh, what we think the solution is, is to withdraw more. But that's not the solution. When you feel passionless in your prayer, when you feel like a robot, when you feel like you can't get past this sin issue and, you know, you just the, the solution is not to to withdraw more. The solution is to press in more. The solution is to say, OK, I'm going to go against my flesh. I'm going to repent of these things. I am going to fight them today, even though I had the struggle yesterday. And God will honor that desire and that that pressing in and saying, I want to fight with this and contend with this. The the purpose of this passage in James is not to, to beat you down and make you feel like every time I sin, I have to pay this however long time of penance where God doesn't really care to listen to what I say, or God isn't going to speak to me and he's just going to give me the silent treatment. That's how we tend to think in our flesh. And that's what the enemy wants you to think mm. is that God just doesn't want to talk to you anymore because you haven't been righteous today right. and perfect, perfect right. today. That's not what it's about. It's about walking in faith. And the solution is let me go press in with God. I'll tell you as an example for myself, when I've had a sin issue and I am repentant and I'm sorry for it, but I struggle with it. When I go to God and talk to him, I do have this temptation to be like, God just doesn't want to use me now mm -hmm. for a while because, mm -hmm. because of the sin. You're in timeout. Yeah. And God never, he doesn't stop speaking to me. I go to him. He encourages me not to engage in that sin and he'll still do stuff in me. I mean, here's an interesting thing. Sometimes when I'm really struggling with a sin, I'll go uh, to we're at church or something. I'm praying and I'll tell God, Lord, I don't want a word for anybody. I don't want, um, I don't want anything. I'm unworthy. Just, <laughs> just help me. That's it. And I feel like sometimes the Lord helps me by it just, okay, let's just have some peace time and that's it with each other. Um, sometimes he gives me a word anyway. And then I start praying about it and I'm like, man, I don't feel worthy of this word, but this, that's not really what this is even about. <laughs> I'm repentant yeah. about the sin. I don't like the sin. I don't want it in my life. I want to be righteous and uh, God is still around and he does care. Yeah. It's like a child, right? It's like, you've got the father and the child, the father does not stop loving the kid when he is in rebellion. Mm. It does hurt the communication. The prodigal son, great example. Right. The prodigal son left. He was gone. Mm -hmm. He couldn't really talk to him because he was gone. He was, yeah. 
actively not listening to the father, right? Mm -hmm. But when the prodigal son was repentant, he came back and the father is communicating with everything because the prodigal son wants it and is right. willing to listen. Right. Yeah, totally. I think there's really something to be said for, you know, e even if we're living in a rebellious state, if we're living unrighteously as a Christ follower, we do believe the gospel, but there's some kind of sin issue in our life and we're just not listening to the Lord about it. And there's some kind of connection perhaps about our communication with the Lord. Like, is he listening to our prayers? All these, these questions that we have based on James 5, 16. The Lord is always, without exception, the Lord always in the scripture listens to repentance, always listens to humility. More than once, what is it, three times you get the quotation in the scriptures uh, from James, from First Peter, um, and, and maybe another place that I'm, I'm not thinking of, that God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. That's like this mantra in the scriptures that the Lord just loves and draws near to. He's attracted to humility, but pride repels him. He stays away from pride. And, and so the, you know, unrepentance, choosing sin is like ultra pride. The Lord's saying he has all this good for us. His ways are higher, they're better. And of course he deserves our obedience. He deserves our allegiance. He deserves our affections, all these things. And when we, through our sinning, make a value judgment and decide something else is better than him, of course that's ultra pride. And the Lord opposes that. But he's such a gracious God that his opposition to our pride is that the spirit of God in us is convicting us about it and calling us back. So because he's always going to listen to our humility and repentance. I feel like, you know, as I was preparing, as I was thinking about this issue, I went to first John chapter three. And so John, John actually gives some really weighty words, I think speak to both the righteousness we have in Christ and the righteousness of our lives and how important it is to the Lord and how serious the issue is, but we can take some confidence also from what he says. So this is first John chapter three, verses six through 10. It's a bit long, but worth reading, obviously, because it's the Bible and it's better than anything we would say. No one who abides in him, that is Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. <laughs> For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So it's almost like, okay, is the righteous person whose prayers have power according to James, is that the person who is in Christ and has Christ's righteousness gifted to him? Or is that the person who walks in righteousness as we're, and I think how we're rightly describing it, it's not your moral perfection that you never sin. 
It's that even when you do sin, you don't want to sin. But when you do, you humble yourself, you're repenting, you're drawing near to God. That is a form of righteousness that the Christ follower is going to come to Christ and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins and trust in the promises that God has made about his grace toward us who believe. That is a kind of righteousness that we can engage in. So John is saying that the righteous person is the one who is in Christ and the one who's in Christ is going to live righteously. So it's almost like, uh, is it this or is it that? Well, it's kind of both. If you're in Christ, according to John, you will live a life of righteousness. And that doesn't mean perfection because he, he goes on to say, of course, that it will be imperfect. So it, to me, it feels like you're covered in the perfect righteousness of Christ through your faith in him. And you'll be living a life of imperfect righteousness, not sinless, but also not making a practice of sin. And I I think the Holy Spirit's really faithful to us that if we begin to make a practice of some kind of sin, he's always convicting, he's speaking, he's drawing. And if we'll listen to him rather than quench or rebel against his voice, then we can quickly return and hear him again. And as you said, have almost an uninterrupted fellowship with him. Oh yeah. The Holy spirit will like cry out to me, you know, when I've been in a season of rebellion, you're quenching me. Don't do it. You know, I love you. Don't do it, please. You know, because he cares and God's always quick to forgive when I'm willing to come in repentance and faith and say, you know what? I'm really sorry. This, this was wrong. I need your forgiveness and your love and self-deprecating for some season and being, you know, living in this, constant, like, you know, I sinned again. And so God is, is not going to listen to me or talk with me. That's just not there. It's living in this, you know, when I mess up, I repent. I'm seeking to be holy as God is holy Mm. as our father in heaven is holy. I'm seeking with all of my heart to walk closely with Jesus and God still loves me when I miss the mark. So let me seek again. I do think there is a difference because there is a point at which you've quenched the spirit so much that it's clear in your life. You really don't care about following Jesus Mm -hmm. that much. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like this side ornament of yours. It's become more of a cultural thing that you are still a Christian or you are a Christian, but you really have no intention of living with him. You can have seasons of your life that are that rebellious Mm -hmm. and that could be considered where your prayers have no power. It's like, I'm living in an act of sin. I'm, I'm really not repentant about it. I've kind of, maybe I've changed my value system to a degree. I'm not really in the word and it's not guiding my value system. So I'm still wearing the hood ornament of Christian. I still say, I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins, but I don't, I'm not living in it at all. Really? Mm-hmm. I think then you could say, Hey, this person's coming to church and everything, but their, their prayers are lacking power they really come as a fake more than as an authentic person. Do you think that's a fair assessment that there can be a point where it's like, I've really quenched the spirit so strongly that I have no conviction about walking with Christ? Absolutely. I mean, the the scriptures say that we can resist 
the Lord and be rebellious to the point that the Lord would even give you over to these desires. And that is terrifying. Nobody wants to be in that position of given over by God to something that you were seeking above him. But it is a biblical idea. And I don't believe that that idea disagrees with the graciousness of God, with his desire for mercy. He, he doesn't delight at all in a person receiving wrath and dying. He doesn't delight in that. He loves mercy. So the idea that he would give a person over is difficult. You know, it, it's hard and it's scary, to be honest. But really the point of all that we're saying is don't, I, for myself, for, for all of us, let's not be so foolish as to stop listening to the Lord, to not draw near to him. There's another thing James says, you know, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. One is clearly better. You know, draw near to to sin, draw near to the desires of the devil for your life and just play right into your own destruction. And God may give you over to those desires, horrifying. Or you could draw near to God. You could resist the devil, draw near to God, and God is close to you. And that's what we need. We need his nearness. And so, I, you know, I, I think too of, you know, you mentioned often when we pray, if we've sinned, that sometimes we come almost groveling to God, not expecting any kind of delight or joy over us or love for us. You know, it's like, here comes this guy again, you know, how dare you show your face in my throne room kind of feeling, you know, and in a way it's like, you don't want to say no, you shouldn't feel convicted of sin. Of course, we should feel convicted of our sin, but we should be trusting in the promises of God enough that we're willing to push through and draw near. And so it makes me think of Hebrews 10. The scripture says that we can now draw near to the throne of grace and find mercy in our time of need because we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He has credited his righteousness to us and made us clean in his sight. So we can draw near with confidence. We can enter the most holy place with confidence. And that confidence is not in myself, in my righteousness, but in what Jesus has done for me. I'm just believing his promise. Just believing his promise. So if we come full circle around to the question, it feels like the James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has power as it's working, or the old King James, what does it say? Availeth much. (laughs) (laughs) This idea, I don't think we can separate the truth of the gospel for me and the righteousness of Christ that's been credited to me as a gift And my own daily walk, listening, walking by the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit, not resisting the conviction of the Spirit, but remaining humble before the Lord and receiving His grace and trusting His promises on a kind of a, that's the rhythm of my life. I don't think it's either or. Which one is James talking about? I think that's who you are in Christ. In Christ, you are made perfect for all time as you're being sanctified. You are righteous before Him in Christ, and you're called to live this life of righteousness that God desires, that God inhabits, that God pays careful attention to. He's attentive to our cries for mercy, as the psalmist says. He's attentive to the person who's seeking him wholeheartedly. Yeah, that's really good. 
And another thing, you know, that I notice in that our passage, James five sixteen, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It says that initially. So I, I have identified and others who have largely walked away from walking with Christ closely. A lot of them stop going to church or they stop being a part of the body. And so in, in order for us to walk in righteousness, God has designed it so that we do it together as a body of Christ. We don't do it solo. So it's not just me and the Holy Spirit, but it's also me and Patrick mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, That's super helpful as well in keeping in step with that. So the main takeaways here, if we're just saying, here's the takeaways from, from praying and, and what righteousness has to do with its effectiveness, what are the main takeaways? I think, first of all, take confidence in the promises of God. Have faith in Jesus that what he did for you has made you righteous before God so that God is attentive to you. He listens to your prayers because you're in Christ. And it's very important to the Lord that we live sincerely and humbly, repentant about our sin, living righteous lives. We don't want to just live like the world. We want to be distinct from the world and shine the light of Christ around us. And that there's something about that that is also very important to the Lord that he's very attentive to. So that's both and. And according to John, it's all the same person. The person who's in Christ is the person who desperately wants Christ and seeks Christ. And those are people who, when they pray, it has power as it's working. And this is probably the last thing that I would say on it is James gives some encouragement. Also, after he says that, he talks about Elijah, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for years and then he prayed that it would rain, and it rained. James makes a point of saying he's a man with a nature like ours. He was not some kind of, I mean, he's exceptional in some ways, you know, but just his experience with God. But although his experience with God was exceptional, he himself was a man with a nature like ours. It could have been you. It could have been me. It could have been Joe Schmo. But his faith in God was resting in the power of God, the nature of God. And so God exerted great power through his prayers. His prayers had great power. He's a righteous person. Why was he righteous? Because of his faith in God. It's just a, a normal person relying on the power of God, depending on God, looking to God, eyes fixed on God. That's the person who, when they pray, it has power. But if we're a person who's relying on our own strength, on, on our own wisdom, uh, seeking our own way, there's no power in what we pray for. We're, we're praying for things that probably don't even resonate in the heart of God. They're not really God's desires. They're just ours. And there's some, there's some hollowness, some shallowness. They lack substance, as you said earlier. Yeah. So bullet point it, stay connected. Mm. with the body. Don't give into your flesh when it says to withdraw, mm -hmm. keep engaging with the Lord mm -hmm. and walk in the righteousness that we're in. Yeah. And, and not just however. Yeah. So keep on praying. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. If you give up on praying, it's a statement, isn't it? It's a statement either in one form or another, it's a statement of, of unbelief in what God has promised. Either you think you've gone too far that God can't reach you or, you know, you think God has made himself so far away that he's unreachable and neither one is true. 
God is always near. He's always attentive to cries for mercy. He loves humility. He's attracted to humility. So just keep praying and believing in God's promise and he will be with you and your prayers will have power. Awesome. Great. Well, I hope this is an encouragement for you and we'll see you next time. As a reminder, the Prayer Culture Podcast is a ministry of two or more, which is a crowdfunded ministry. So if you enjoy this content, please check out our website and giving page listed in the description. Also, when you have a second, hit the like and subscribe button.